You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. For us to get into this debate about what is truth, we have to first get to know who Rav Safra was. There's a Gemara in Mesechtet Makot, Davchaf Dalad Amud Aleph. Makot 24a. The Gemara in Makot is a very, very interesting Gemara in many ways. I think it's important for everyone to learn. It has uh, a lot of uh, historical context as well. The Talmud tells us there, that's the source, that there are 613 mitzvot in the Torah. The Talmud tells us, Shesh me'ot u'shlosh esrei mitzvot ne'emru lo le'moshe that there are 613 commandments. And then, the Gemara tells us, seemingly, that in order for somebody to merit a place in Olam Abba, a person would have to fulfill 613 commandments. And that would mean, which, obviously, you can't, nobody can fulfill 613 commandments. Some of them are for men, some, for, some are for women. Some are for Kohanim, some are for Leviim, some are for Yisraelim, some are for kings, some are for Mamzerim, some are, so, you can't be all of those things. So nobody can fulfill all of the mitzvot, but on the simple level, on the simple level, you have to fulfill all the ones that you can fulfill. So the Gemara introduces us to a concept called Yeridat Hadorot. What does Yeridat Hadorot mean? It means that as each generation passes, we lose the strength and ability to connect to God in the same way as our ancestors. Now, not everyone in the world, in the world at large, thinks of human development in this way. There are many societies where they believe that the human moral is constantly evolving for the better. But the Talmud tells us that actually it's the other way around, that in ancient times people were stronger and were more, more able to serve God, and as time goes on, people are less able to do so. Tells us the Talmud, Ba David midan alachat esrei. That David HaMelech came along and said, I know it says in the Torah 613, but he um, filtered it down to 11 ideas. Now this does not mean the way some movements within Judaism have interpreted it, that David said, instead of 613, we're going to throw out 602 of them, and we're only going to keep 11 of them. That's how some wanted to read this Talmud, but it's clear from anyone who reads this Gemara that that's not what our sages are trying to say. That's just a misrepresentation, and to some degree, a really, really unfair one. In other words, if you want to say, listen, I don't keep 613, it's not a round number, I like the number 5, so I'm going to pick my 5 favorite mitzvot, that's your problem. That's, that's on you. But for those who try to read into the Talmud as if the Talmud is saying... Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off the topic. So the, the Talmud tells us that David, in Sefer Tehillim, told us that everything comes down to these 11 things. Now I'm going to read to you the Pasuk in Tehillim. 
You should all know this, I, I'm sure. This is Tehillim chapter 15. Mizmor le David. Hashem. Mi yagur ba'ahalecha. Who is going to live in your tent? Mi yishkon ba'har kachecha. Who is going to dwell on your holy mountain? David is asking, who goes to heaven? So in your head, feel free to count along with me and see if you can cover all of these 11. If you do these 11 things, David HaMelech, Alav HaShalom, promises you Gan Eden. Number one, Holech Tamim. You go with simplicity. Poel Tzedek. You do righteousness. I think some of us are still in there, right? V'dover Emet Bilvavo. You speak truth in your own heart. We'll explain what this means. Lo ragal al-lashono. You don't speak lashon hara. That's it. That takes most of us out already, right? Lo asa l're'ehu ra'a. You don't do bad things to other people. V'cherpa lo nasa al-karovo. There's different interpretations for that, but let's go with, you don't bring disgrace to your family. Nivzeh be'enav nimas. People who are bad people, don't, don't, don't treat them like they're nice people. People who are bad and evil, tell them that you're displeased with their behavior. That Yirei Hashem, but when you see those who fear God, Yechabed, you should honor them. Nishba lahara v'lo yamir. You make a promise, you keep it. Kaspo l'natam b'neshech, you don't um, take interest from people. V'shochad al-naki lo lakach, you don't take bribes to have um, innocent people suffer. Oseh ele says David, those who do these 11 things, those who do these things, lo yimot olam, they will never falter. So, this is a big deal. It's, it's, a, it's a chapter in Tehillim, and it says here, you have to do these 11 things, and then you have olam abba. So, says the Talmud, what do each of these things mean? Right, we, ha- we need a real definition. You can't just say, holech um, tamim. Um, what does that mean? How do I know if I'm holech tamim or I'm not holech tamim? So the Talmud on, in the Gemara Makot breaks down each one of these things to try to define them. And it's a very, very long Gemara and it would take more than the time we have today to go through all of these 11 things as the way the Talmud defines it. But the Talmud says like this, holech tamim, the Talmud says, if you want to know what that means, look at Avraham. We're not going into it, but look at Avraham. Poel Tzedek, you want to know what that means? Look at Abba Chilkiyahu. Who's Abba Chilkiyahu? That's a whole class on its own. There's a man called Abba Chilkiyahu, and if you learn about his life, you'll know what Poel Tzedek means. V'dover emet bilvavo. But you know what dover emet bilvavo? One who speaks truth in his heart? Kagon Rav Safra. That's Rav Safra. Rav Safra is the example of dover emet bilvavo. Why? So listen to this story. Rav Safra had a donkey that was on sale. That was for sale. He had a donkey that he was trying to sell. One day, he was sitting, and he was reading the Shema. Shema Yisrael, v'ahavta, v'hayem Shemoah. He's reciting the Shema. And the person comes over to him and doesn't realize that he's reciting the Shema, and says, uh, Rabbi, I, I would like to buy your donkey. I'll give you $1,000 for it. Whatever number, I'm making up a number. I'll give you $1,000 for it. But Rav Safra was reading the Shema, so he just kept 
kept reciting the Shema, because you're not supposed to interrupt the Shema um, when someone tries to talk to you. If it's something important, you know, then you can interrupt. But just because some guy wants to buy your donkey, so he kept reciting the Shema. The person assumed that this was Rav Safra's business approach. So he says to him, fine, fine, fine. I'll give you, I'll give you 2,000. Um, and Rav Safra kept reading. He's like, wow, wow, you run a hard bargain. Okay, I'll give you $5,000 for your donkey. And Rav Safra keeps reading the Shema. So the man walked away. Rav Safra follows him, comes after him, and says to him, I so, apologize, I was reading the Shema. Now, today we have Sidurim, so you could just point to the Sidur, right? But, but uh, they recited everything by heart. Right? He said, I'm sorry, I was reciting the Shema, but I'd love to sell you the donkey, and I want you to know that when you came over to me and you said, I want to buy your donkey for $1,000, in my mind, I said, okay, that's what I want. And once I made that decision, dover emet bilvavo, means I speak the truth that's in my heart, and once I decided I was going to sell it to you for 1000 I will not take one penny more. Even though he had offered to pay 2000 and even 5000 he admitted and he said the truth, and says the Talmud, that's dover emet bilvavo. Okay, so, first of all, there's a lot of concepts to, to discuss here. Number one, you should think about this, that Rav Safra, who is one of the sages of the Talmud, he appears in many, many teachings of the Talmud, he's one of the rabbis in the Talmud, he had sort of his own mitzvah. He had something that was his mitzvah, that as we say, chok v'lo yavor, he keeps it. And this was something that used to be very encouraged. That every person should have ki'ilu, like David says, you're supposed to have 11, right? You're supposed to have all 11 of these things should be. But Rav Safra said, listen, I know that dover emet bilvavo, that's important to me, I'm going to keep that. Says the Talmud, in this, the, the, what I just read was a Gemara in Makot, 24a. There's another quote in the Talmud, in Bava Batra, Pechet Amud Aleph, 88a. And the Gemara tells us an interesting thing. That Rav Safra was not the only one who did this. There were a number of people who would undertake to be very, very stringent in certain areas, and especially like Rav Safra. Rav Safra was like the, the inspiration for this where they would be very, very careful on this mitzvah of dover emet bilvavo. And I want to talk about the translation for a second. Dover emet bilvavo literally translates as you speak truth within your heart. But those literal translation words do not capture what, it's really, what it really says, which is that you're honest, not just you're honest with yourself, but the honesty within yourself is what you share with other people. And th that's, that's a really high level of living, where you're, you're sh the inside, what's happening on the inside, is like the outside. There's an interesting teaching about the Ache Yosef. It says, that the brothers couldn't speak with Shalom to Yosef. 
says Rashi, in his commentary on the Chumash, most people think that that's a negative. He says, I mean, obviously it's a negative if there are brothers who are fighting. But there's also a positive. That when they were upset with him, they didn't pretend like everything was okay. And instead, they were honest. And they said, Yosef, we're not happy with you. We're not going to pretend like everything's okay. They couldn't speak in peace. Now, it's better to be in peace. But better than pretending that there's peace and there isn't, it's at least good to have it all out in the open. And that's Dover Emet Bilvavo. Dover Emet Bilvavo is, as our sages say, Tochok Baro, the inside is like the outside, but usually when we say that we mean that it's a good person on the inside, like you pre- here we're saying that you're actually sharing the feelings that are inside of you on the outside. And then the Talmud in Bhavabatra tells us an interesting thing as to how far they would take this. And I'm going to use modern terms. Let's say you're going in the supermarket and you see there's a new hummus. You want to try the new hummus. So you take the hummus off the shelf and you put it in your cart. Then you come to the next aisle and you see there's a new tahina. Now, you, you don't like to try too many foods at the same time, but you'd rather not try the new tahina and not the new hummus. So, what do you do? You go put the hummus back, right? People who lived like Rav Safra, once they put it in their cart, they were going to buy it. It's an interesting way of living. Because once they've made a decision inside of their heart that they're going to purchase this, dover emet bilvavo, I'm speaking truth. I decided to buy it. I had an intention to buy it. I'm reneging on my thoughts means that I'm undoing something that I already did. And the Talmud takes this further. And I'm getting into the technical aspect of this because I want to emphasize to what extreme these people took this idea. And that's really part of of the... That's going to end up being part of our discussion. The law is, today, in Chutz La'aretz, we don't have this issue for sure, but fruits um, that, are, that are grow in Eretz Yisrael, for those who live in Eretz Yisrael, a fruit that comes here, there is a mitzvah in the Torah to take teruma and to take ma'aser, to take all the proper tithings. Today, Bizman Azeh, according to most opinions, it's not a biblical obligation, because we don't have the majority of the Jewish people living in Eretz Israel, we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, we don't have any of these things, so, but at least Midarabanan, by rabbinical obligation, you have to take Truma Umaser. Who takes the Truma Umaser? So the halacha is that it's supposed to be taken by the consumer, by the purchaser, by the person who buys it. But, if you look in all the stores in Eretz Israel that have Tudot, Kashrut, they will all say that the Badats or the Rabbanut came by and took the Truma and the Maser. And the reason is because every, all the, um, your consumers, they don't know all the rules of Truma and Maser like they did in ancient times. So they do us a favor and they take off the Truma and the Maser for us. But the obligation for Maser begins when when there's a consumer who purchases the object. I want you to understand how far Rav Safra would take this stringency. If he would take an apple and put it into his shopping cart, if he wanted 
to return the apple onto the shelf, what he would do is, he would go to the owner of the store and say to him, I took this apple with the intention to buy it. I want to give you the money that you will have to pay one-tenth of this fruit to give ma'aser. Because technically I already own this apple in my head because I picked it up. And so I should have the obligation for the ma'aser. So when they would put it back on the shelf with permission from the owner and then they would give extra money to cover the ma'aser. And the Talmud calls these people Yirei Shamaim. Now, there are different kinds of Yirei Shamaim. There are different levels of people who fear God. But this is a Yirei Shamaim that comes from a very powerful Midah of Emet. Dover Emet Bilvavo. Honesty and truth and consistency. When you start something, you finish it. When you say something, you do it. And for these people, this was the most important thing in the world. And who exemplifies this? This is Rav Safra. Rav Safra was the one who famously, the story with the donkey, but he was the one who everyone learned from him that when you, in your mind, you make a decision, you stick to it, because the most important thing in the world is truth. Truth with yourself, truth with others, and truth with God. So, that's the second Gemara, and now we are coming to the third and the last. Yes. For example, I'm very undecisive. I never know what to decide. I go and I just take one thing and then another thing. So is it not a messy belief? Oh no, so if you haven't decided, then it's not a problem. It's once you make a decision, right? It doesn't mean that you have to pick the first thing you see. But once you make a decision, you say, that's it, this is what I'm going to do. You don't question anymore, you follow through. Because dover emet bilvavo, right? And it's a, it's a it's it's a beautiful mida, because it makes people reliable. Everyone has friends, and maybe yourself, but think of someone else who's just reliable, someone who you trust. When they say so, they're going to do something, they're going to do it. And then you've got people who you have to call them twenty times, and you still know that they're not going to show up. And you know, obviously, they're your friends, you forgive them for things, but, but there's something special about people who, they do what they say they're going to do. And this is taking it further. Rav Safar doesn't just do what he says he's going to do, he does what he decides in his heart he's going to do, even if he never told you that that's what he plans on doing. That's how truth, truthful he was. So, let me ask you, is this a really good midah? I think most people would say it is. Is it always a good Mida? Listen to this story. Yes. I also think that it's not always a good Mida because sometimes there are circumstances in life and conditions that you have to change your idea. If you thought that something would be beneficial, but then you see that it's detrimental because of changes, it can be 
Right. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, I, I want to make it clear. There are some people who are rigid. When I say rigid, that means that, that they can only see one way. They have an idea that they only see one thing, and that's all they see. Their idea is the only idea. They don't want to hear other people's ideas. They, we're not talking about people who are rigid this way, and people who, who are um, narrow-minded. Right? We're talking about someone who understands that there's many ways of doing it. But, you know, once he came to... But, but I want to say that uh, even within the Dover Amemet Bilvavo, as Anat is pointing out, you can have that sometimes there is a need for someone to change their mind. But, but let's look at a different story. The Talmud tells us an actual incident that occurred with Rav Safra. So listen to this story. This is a Gemara in Chulin 94b. Marzutra, braider of Nachman. Marzutra, the son of Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman, you all know, is one of the great sages of the Talmud. He had a son called Marzutra, another one of the holy rabbis. Havakazil, he was, he was traveling, Misichra lebe Mechuza. He was traveling from the city of Sichra to the city of Mechuza. Sichra and Mechuza are both places in ancient Babylon, which is where the Talmud Bavli was, was compiled in Bavel. So this great, great rabbi is traveling from Sichra to Mechuza. At the same time, another two great rabbis, Rava and Rav Safra, have a ka'asu l'sichra, they were leaving Mechuza and they were going on their way to Sichra. So this one rabbi is going from Sichra to Mechuza, and as he's approaching Mechuza, these other two rabbis are coming out from Mechuza to Sichra. Pagu Ahadadi, and they, they met. Savar Laapei Hudekaatu. Listen to this story. This is unbelievable. The rabbi who's traveling from Sichra to Mechuzah is traveling by himself. And as he's, you know, let's say a mile out of the town of Mechuzah, these two rabbis come towards him. So he believes that they're coming out to greet him, to be Mechabel Panim, to, to, to say hello to him, to, to honor him, and to roll out the red carpet. Amar Luhu, so he says to them, in a, in a sort of humility, Lama Luhu L'Rabbanan, the Tarach V'Atu Kulehai, the rabbis, you didn't have to bother yourself so much to come out to greet me a mile out of town? That's, you know, it's not necessary. Okay, so here we have an interesting situation. They had no idea that he was coming. They had no idea that he was coming. They, he's traveling from Sichra to Mechuzah. You know, he's arriving in Mechuzah. And the truth is, he has no plans of, of letting anyone know. He doesn't want a parade. He doesn't want... He doesn't want any of those things. So he's traveling, he's going to Mechuza. Mechuza is a great town with many great people in it. And as he arrives, he's shocked, he's surprised. These two of the greatest rabbis in the world, Rava and Rav Safra, are coming out to, to greet him. He thinks, he thinks they're coming out to greet him. And so he says to them, you know, this isn't necessary. You know, I, I don't need this honor. It's, you, you didn't have to bother for me. 
So, I think all of you know exactly where this is going. Rav Safra speaks only truth. Amalei Rav Safra, Rav Safra said, Anan lo yadinan deka'atimar, we didn't know that you were coming. I have yadinan, and had we known that you were coming, we would have brought a bigger crowd. So instead of being quiet, Rav Safra says the truth. We didn't know you were coming. We're not here to greet you. But you should know, he says, that had we known, we would have been more than two. We would have brought out, we would have brought out the whole, the whole, uh, the whole chevra. And, and that was the end of the discussion. Amalei Rava, Rava turns to Rav Safra, you know, pulls him aside, and says, what did you tell him that for? My time or Amrit Lehachi? What's the reason? Why did you tell him? You know how bad you made him feel by telling him the truth? Here he was, he thought that the two rabbis of Mechuzah have come out to greet him, and maybe he's feeling good. You know, it's nice to get a, a warm welcome. It's nice when you're coming from out of town and people greet you at the, at the, at the entrance. It's nice when you come down the, the uh, um, you know, come through um, you know, baggage claim and there's a person there holding a sign with your name on it. There's a reason why they have people holding signs. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel important. It makes you feel like someone's taking care of you and someone is out there watching for you. That you're important enough for people to make arrangements for you. So, so he felt good. Why'd you ruin it? Amalei, he said, But I would be lying. I would be tricking him. I didn't come out to honor him. And he's, he's going to show me appreciation like I came out and honored him by coming out to greet him, and I didn't. So I have to speak the truth. He's thankful to me. Because I gave him honor, or he thinks I gave him honor, I have to dispel that. Said Rava, no. You never tricked him. Ihu the Kamati Nafshei, he tricked himself. Meaning, you never said you were coming out to greet him. He took the fact that you came out to greet him as a sign that that you honor him, he took it that way, you never did anything to fool him. So he took the situation and he created his own definition for it. Who said that you have to dispel him of that? Who said that you have to convince him that you didn't come out to greet him? Now before we get into the technicalities, number one you see that Rav Safra, who always has to speak the truth, no matter what, in this situation puts the truth Above, on some level, the feelings of another person. Because his life, his derech ha'chaim, his approach to life, is that honesty is always the best policy. You've heard that expression, right? Honesty is always the best policy. Now what does that mean, honesty is always the best policy? It doesn't mean 99% of the time. Because then it's not always the best policy. It's sometimes the best policy. To say honesty is always the best policy means that take it, the good and the bad. Take the suffering that you'll get from it, take the difficulties, but speak the truth because lies are dangerous. Lies will always come back to bite you. Lies will always come back to haunt you. People will always find out the truth. Just share the truth and take, take, 
Take it for what it gives you. That's what we usually understand. It means honesty is the best policy. And that's how Rav Safra takes it. And we see how honest he is. Again, he puts something in the shopping cart. He won't put it back unless he pays for it. That's, it's, not a, it's not a joke for him, right? It's not, he literally lives his life that way. And so, here's the problem. Is that someone, because of a lie, not a lie that Rav Safra created, but a lie that Marzutra, the son of Rav Nachman, created, in his own head, when he sees two rabbis walking towards him, he thinks, oh, you know what? They came to honor me. That's so nice. And Rav Safra feels the need to, to dispel this illusion, to tell him otherwise. So, what we have here is Rava turns to Rav Safra and says to him, why'd you tell him? Rava knows Rav Safra. Everybody knows Rav Safra. Everybody knows Rav Safra tells only the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But Rava says to him, the achalishte ledaite, I get it. You want, to, you want to tell someone the truth. You want to be truthful. But how could you hurt someone else through that process? You're directly causing someone pain. And, and the way Rashi explains this, when he feels like, oh my goodness, people came out to greet me. And then you tell him that you didn't. You know what that tells him? It tells him that no one came to greet him. He hadn't been thinking about it. When he was traveling down the road, he was probably thinking, alright, I hope I make my meeting on time, I hope this, I better make sure to pick up, uh, they, they, have really good, um, they have really good cake in Mechuzah I better bring home, so the, that the kids like the cake from there. Now, he was probably thinking about his plans of what he's going to do while he's in Mechuzah. He wasn't thinking about who's going to come out to greet him, because he, he didn't think anyone knew that he was coming. But then he sees the rabbis coming towards him. Now, you... Whether, whether you like it or not, Rav Safra, this rabbi has now created the impression that he's being honored. And so now it's in his head. If you take that away, you know what's left? That he came to Mechuzah and nobody came out to greet him. Not only that, but there's also the shame. Everyone knows the shame of making a false assumption. Right? You, 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 you get it, and you show up at somewhere, and the people tell you, oh, it's not today, it's tomorrow. That's embarrassing, right? When you make a, a mistake and you show up, even though it's a silly mistake, but I'll tell you, if, if there's a party at someone's house and someone knocks on your door the day before and says, Amir, what time does the party start? And you say, in 25 hours, right? That's embarrassing. So it causes people pain. So you just cause them pain because he assumed so and now we're telling him, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really come. So let me ask you, did Rav Safra not think of this? Right? But if you look closely at the Talmud, you have to remember, these rabbis, and the, the way they're recording the story, the rabbis want us to think about these things. Th- this is not just some story of some rabbi who lived uh, um, you know, t- 2,000 years ago, or uh, 1,500 years, 1,300 years ago. Some rabbi who lived 1,300 years ago, who, who um, is, uh, I'm sorry, 1,700 years ago, thank you, um, um, who lived 1,700 years ago, who, who all of a sudden is, uh, who takes on these stringencies. The rabbis want us to think about this. They want us to say, 
what is the right way to do these things? How are you supposed to handle this? What's right and what's wrong? And what is Dover Emet Bovavo? And it's important to notice that Rav Safra thought he was dealing with the situation. Because he didn't just say, we didn't come out for you. He didn't say that. His words were, Anan lo we didn't know you were coming. And then he said, had we known you were coming, we would have brought out the whole yeshiva. So Rav Safra feels like he's covering it by saying to Marzutra, the son of Rav Nachman, you're, you're right, you should know that the honor is yours. It is yours. Had we known, we would have made a whole parade. We, we just didn't know. So he feels like he's protecting the insult by throwing in this tremendous compliment of suggesting that had he known, he would have brought the whole yeshiva. And Rava seems to say, no, that's still not good. Uh, interesting question. It, it may depend on the kinds of consequences. What, what would be an example of, of something you'd be, you'd be describing? I, I, let me tell you why I'm asking. Because the story that you are telling, that suppose you, he would be insulted, and this is the consequence of keeping the mitzvah to speak truth in your heart. Right. So in this case, I hear... I, you, I, I think what, what, what you're doing is, is going to make this um, really interesting because, you see, I, I'm, I'm kind of sticking to Rav Safra's truth versus consideration. But, but what you're saying is it, it, it's really every mitzvah. Every mitzvah that you have, that you do. For example, I, if I have a mitzvah that every day I deliver... Uh, a, 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 a dish of, of food to an elderly person who's unable to leave their home. That's my mitzvah every day. And, and I do this every day at a certain time. And then, you know, I, I arrive one time and I see that there's other people there and they're having a good time. And if I would enter now and bring the food, it would disturb and disrupt the thing. But I, I got to go. You know, I have to leave. This is my, so do I interrupt or do I not? And if I, if I stick to my mitzvah, I've got to get this done, I've got to, so then I remove everything else, and I'm sure I can think of a million other examples. Or, and so do, do I say, this is my mitzvah, this is what I do every day, that's what I'm going to do today, and you just do it. Or do you say, you know what, so today you won't do the mitzvah, because you're going to interrupt whatever is going on over there. But what do you mean, this is a mitzvah I do every day? You know, sometimes you have to be able to uh, step away from your mitzvah. And maybe Rav Safra could in some cases, but in this case he felt like he shouldn't. Right? I think Rav Safra did right because he knew he had an answer to it, that there would have been a whole crowd of people coming. I think if they didn't plan and if he didn't think this guy is worth it, or they didn't, he, wouldn't have that, he wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't open his mouth and say whatever it went in his head. Right. That, that's my opinion. Yeah, you I don't have to say out loud if you're going to hurt somebody. But if you're going to say something that is going to make them feel even better, why not? 
Okay, so I have to agree with you, and I'm going to repeat what Nitiva just shared with us, that the fact that Rav Safra said, we didn't come out to greet you, but had we known that you were coming, we would have brought the whole yeshiva, because this is Marzutra, the son of Rav Nachman. So by your, what you're learning is that only because he felt like he could put in the second clause which is the mitigation of the pain, and maybe even an honor to itself, only because he could do that, did he mention the first part, which is that, he, he would, uh, that we didn't come out to greet you. But maybe if it was somebody else, for whom he would not have brought out such a large crowd to honor him, and therefore he couldn't follow it with the second clause, therefore, in, in that situation, he would have been quiet. Which means you're already telling us or suggesting, and I think that's how to read this Gemara, that even Rav Safra also wasn't the kind of person who always said the truth even if it hurts people. I mean, that's, it's, that's not true. Only in this case where he, and I, I'm going I'm to pull back on what you said a little bit, where he believed that that statement mitigates the pain, and we'll discuss if we have time whether it does or doesn't, but because he believed he can fix the pain, therefore he felt safe to focus on the truth. Yes? Isn't there a middle ground for example, Rav Safra could have said all your great person in Ephraimio and maybe more crowd should have been for you. Well, that's kind of what he's saying, right? I mean, on some level, he's saying, listen, we didn't come out, we didn't come out for you. But had we known, we would have brought, brought out... So, he, he's, he's not... The, the problem is that, in a sense, what he's taking away from him, though, is this feeling, the feeling of seeing a crowd coming out towards you, and he's trying to replace it with a statement like you're suggesting, like a statement of, well, you know, we would have done this for you had we known. But the question is, is that sufficient? So as Netivah told us, that Rav Safra made the calculation and said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him the truth, but I'm going to tell him also that, that uh, we would have come out, and that should make him feel better. So you know why Rava disagrees? Rava disagrees because Rava says it's not the same. It's not the same when someone tells you, if I would have known, I would have come out. It's not the same as the feeling of seeing people coming out to greet you because you're someone important. It's never the same. It is never that same level of honor with a would have or a could have or a should have. It's not the same. Yes? The more you speak the truth in your heart, you are a better person. So it's a kind of a monotonic relation. But the argument, if it is continuous or not, if not at some point, it breaks. I mean, somebody who is always, 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 never has any limits, he might, might not be the best person. He might be actually the worst one. Right, right. Thank you, thank you. cannot continue. I think that's a, an excellent point to put in here. See, because what I've been saying is that, you know, it's not always right to go to that extreme. What you're saying, I think you have to learn this way, is that actually anyone who's so rigid in any midah, 
even the best midah in the world. You're so rigid that there's no room for me for for um, to, to deviate for even the slightest. That that's that's actually rishut. That's evil. Because inevitably, so, and that's what we're saying. Rav Safra, if it would have been just any person, he would have been quiet. Because because he's not going to cause that kind of pain to someone, even Rav Safra. But because he felt like in this case he could make it better by saying, listen, don't you know, if I would have known you were coming, Marzutra, I would have brought out the whole yeshiva. And, and, and so that's why he's allowing it. Yeah, absolutely. Any midah. We know. We know this. Someone who's a Baal Chesed. What greater compliment could you give someone that they're a Baal Chesed? But you know what happens when someone gives Chesed, Chesed, Chesed all day long? Number one, they hurt themselves, they hurt their family, and they end up in inappropriate uh, connections. Right? And, and the same thing is true of every single midah. Extremes are always dangerous. Always dangerous. But Rav Safra, is, he's, he's far, not, not all the way to the edge, but he wants to take it a lot further than Rava wants to take it. So Rava says to him, listen, I, I know you said, you said that you would have come out, but you know that's not the same. Telling someone I would have, so what's Rav Safra's response to that? Rav Safra says, but don't you, don't you realize? Rav Safra has a reputation that he speaks the truth. Right? When he tells him, when he tells him, and this is very deep, but I, I want you to appreciate this, because it's, it's an important idea. Rav Safra speaks the truth. So when he tells him, we didn't come out to greet you, he's telling him the deepest truth of his heart. Because Rav Safra is always sharing the deepest truth of his heart. So then when he tells him, you know, if I would have known you were coming, I would have brought out the whole yeshiva. That's the same truth within his heart that he's speaking. So the same person who's so honest that he needs to tell you that, no, don't give me that credit, I don't deserve it. It's the same honesty that's telling you, I would have brought out the whole yeshiva. So if you're, if you're realizing that this is Rav Safra talking, and that's why Rav Safra says this. He says, listen, between you and me, you know I'm telling you the truth. I, I'm not the kind of person who's going to tell you that I would have brought out the yeshiva if I wouldn't. If I would have known, we would have brought out, literally, I would have brought out the entire yeshiva. I just didn't know. So Rav Safra feels like telling him with the same honesty inside how much he cares for him and how much he appreciates him, should be able to replace that feeling of honor. In fact, maybe it should feel him even more honored because he thought just two rabbis. And now he realizes that he's so honored they would have brought out the whole yeshiva. Um, yeah. Um, it, it's, a, it's a dilemma. I don't care for suffering behavior in general because saying always the truth serves sometimes yourself and your self-righteousness and doesn't necessarily help the other person. <clears throat> and um, uh, we have in society what is called uh, Shekel Levan, white lie, that sometimes is needed to get things going and uphold somebody and um, it's necessary for, for society to function with uh, little white lies here and there. Um, in the, in the case, though, that you described between Safra and Rabba, I don't see what options. I mean, the other option would have been 
they could not ignore the big rabbi coming, right? He was too important to just pass by and not recognize him. So they have to acknowledge his presence there and the direction that he's going toward their city. So what other options could they have said in that case? They could have lied and said... Well, they didn't have to lie. They could have just gone along with it, right? With his own lie happening in his head. When he says, wow, you guys came out to greet him, they could have just said, welcome, blah, blah, blah. And just say, they didn't have to right. say anything, right? That's what Rav is saying to you. That was what Rav was going to do. It's not, that's what it sounds like. When he started to talk, Marzutra, he's like, you rabbis, I can't believe you came out. Why'd you bother? You know, this is too much. Rav's plan was, no, 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 don't worry for you. You're a great rabbi, you know. Or even if he would have changed the subject, he wouldn't have said anything. I mean, it doesn't, uh, before we get to, th- to this other point, I would say Rav Safra is not doing this for self-righteousness. It's not about ego, right? Because if you're doing it for ego, then you're missing the whole point. If we're looking but at him... In general, his personality, as you described, right. he's always saying the truth. No, no, you shouldn't always say the truth. Well, no, I agree. Uh, that's, you know, for us, the way we are. But that was his approach to life, right? There's a dover emet bilvavo. And, and every... The thing is, everyone's got a midah like that. If you think about it, there are certain things that you take too far, right? And there are certain things that I take too far. We all have things we take too far. But do, he understood, that's what it means, that's what you're supposed to do. So now he took it for the better or for the worse. And the, the, the thing is, you know, sometimes it caused pain, and sometimes it didn't, but we always, some of, sometimes we cause pain, sometimes we don't. At least you knew he was reliable. Right? You, you knew that whatever you were hearing from him was never a lie. And I just want you to think about that and weigh that against this concern that you're hurting people. You're right. People got hurt because of those choices. But at the same time, there was an advantage that you always knew what you were getting, right? Yes? Because he could, say, he could skip that part, we're not here for you. If you always spoke the truth, sometimes just don't say anything and go right away to the second part. Yeah, yeah, you're right, but that wasn't within his system. I agree. That's the go- th- That's exactly what we're debating here. That's what this Gemara is trying to raise the issue. He took it too far, and Rabbi says, "No, that's not. That that's not." Rabbi is telling him, even within your system of dover emet bilvavo, you don't have to go so far, right? And, and the Rav Safra is like, "No, it needs to go far." That's exactly what this debate. So, I mean, picking the side of Rava is a pretty good side to take, right? Yes. According to what you have taught us, it seems that Rav Safra is more Haredi than Hashem. When Abraham and Sarah wanted a child, and Sarah said, Adoni Zaken, and Hashem translated, Aniskena, he said it not to upset Abraham. You talked about Aaron, who made peace, that Shalom was more important. So it seems that 
Ah, uh, but remember, Aharon is extremist in his way. Aharon, as we discussed in that class, he's extremist in Shalom. He feels that peace, and Hashem does that. Hashem is Meshaneh, Lifnei HaShalom, the Holy One, blessed is He, said, and she said, Vaniza Kanti. God said, Sarah laughs? Why is she laughing and says, Vaniza Kanti? She didn't say, as you said, she said, Vadoniza Kanti. She said, Abraham is old. But, but that's because Hashem places Shalom before Emet. And your Rav Safra, it's not that he's taking Emet further than HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. He learns that for him, Emet comes before Shalom. It, I, and I, I understand, I think everyone's thinking, well, shouldn't Shalom be the most important thing? He's learning that in a world where everyone talks the truth, you wouldn't have these issues. Right. So, so what, what, what it comes down to, to, uh, to, to on some level, is Rav Safra made a calculation. He figured that the best way to deal with this situation is honesty. And like I said, but here, in this situation, he also felt like that same honesty would protect the great rabbi from the pain as we said, because he would tell him, I would have brought out the entire yeshiva. Now here is where it gets a little complicated. is because someone who is dover emet bilvavo always assumes that other people understand why they are dover emet bilvavo. And I think all of us do this. When we have a certain midah, we kind of expect other people to understand why we behave this way. So, for example, if let's say someone, someone says something to me and I say, you know, I, I don't want to talk about it. And they say, well, what do you mean? This is important. I want to talk about it. And I say, I don't want to talk about it because it's for whatever reason. I, I somehow am making the assumption that you're going to agree with me and understand that this reason is a reason why um, we shouldn't talk about it. But you may not agree with me. And because you don't agree with me, you're upset with me because I won't talk to you about it, right? Simple example. In this way, Rav Safra felt like, since he's living in a world of truth, where everything is truth, so his tr one truth should equalize and mitigate the pain of the second truth. Right? The, the, the truth that I didn't come out to greet you, you should feel better about it when I tell you that I would have come out to greet you. Not only that I would have come out to greet you, that I would have come out with the yeshiva, uh, so I'm expecting you to absorb that honor and to accept it, and that it should make you feel better. And that's also a little bit unfair, says Rava, to expect other people to... Now, I want to make it very clear. Rava is not saying to Rav Safra that he should have lied. Which is, and not you wrote it before, that in the case of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he actually was Meshaneh, Hashem changes the reality, but that's different, that's a case of, of Shalom, that's a little different. Um, especially Ben Adam Lechavero, Ben Ishli Ishto, you know, that's, that's a whole separate um, domain. But here, there's another issue, which is that who told the first lie here? The first lie was told by Marzutra to himself. When he saw the rabbis walking towards him, he could have read this in two ways. He could have read it as, what a coincidence that these two rabbis happen to be walking out at this time. I'll get to talk to them. You know, I haven't seen them in years. 
He chose in his head to go, oh no, they came out to greet me. I feel so bad that I bothered these rabbis to come out to greet me. Now why did he go there? He went there. So he did that to himself. So now Rav Safra is wondering, um, Rav Safra is wondering that, um, well, at least Rav Safra learns, that that lie is his fault. Meaning, that lie is Rav Safra's fault. That's how sensitive he was to lies. Again, make it very clear. That he feels Rav Safra takes the responsibility for the lie. Because when he walks out and he creates the situation that looks like he came out to greet him, he feels like a liar and a trickster and a deceiver. And that's something very interesting. When the rabbi says, come on, you didn't have to bother to come out. And now he feels like a liar. And I don't think we realize what kind of discomfort that causes Rav Safra. When he feels like someone, because of his actions, is lying to them, is, li- is lying. So the Rava says to him, It's not your problem. If someone takes your actions and misinterprets them, that's not a lie that you have created. You're not responsible for that lie. If someone wants to tell themselves a lie, because let's say you bumped into them and they feel all honored, it's not your lie. And you don't have to fix it. And this has many, many applications in so many situations. You've dealt with this a hundred times. This has happened to every one of us. Where, where someone starts talking. And, you know, um, I, I, I go into situations. But let's say someone, you, you come to a party. And, and you forgot to bring a gift. And then someone else comes by the door and says, is this where the party is? And, the, and you say, yes. You say, okay, I don't have time to go to the party, but I just want to drop off a gift. Could you drop it off for me? So, can I walk in and hand the gift to the person and just get, give it to them? Now, I'm not telling them I bought it. Inside, there's a card that will say who actually gave it. But at this moment, right now, the person thinks, I brought a gift. Not okay, right? Everyone's saying not okay. I see a lot of people saying not okay. Am I, am I required to say this is not from me? Yes. Do I have as many people saying, as we said before, now obviously everyone agrees, right? You can't show up, happy birthday, here's a gift. That's lying. But do I have to say, here's a gift, this is not from me, someone came, or can I just hand it in and let them find out later? I just picked one silly example. Everyone can think of a hundred examples of where people are interacting with you and it's clear that they're under a certain impression. Yeah, I, I remember someone once asked me, you know, where is this, where is this teaching from the Talmud? You know, it turned out, like, I, I had just seen this an hour ago. So I told him it's on this and this book on that page. He's like, wow, I can't believe you did that. I said, no, I saw it an hour ago. So, Am I, am I required to tell him? Or can I let this person think that, you know, I know where everything is? Yeah, this, this, silly examples, but, but we deal with this all the time. And the question is, when we have a mitzvah of dover emet bilvavo, and, and according to David HaMelech, 
This is one of the 11 things for which you can earn Olam Abba. This is it. David says, the 630 mitzvot. Now he's not suggesting you don't keep all 613. That's where some people misread this statement of the Talmud. But he's saying, focus on these 11, because that's the fundamentals. Right? The, the Rambam makes 13 principles of faith, and David gives 13 primary mitzvot. These are the primary mitzvot that you should focus on. One of them is truth. But how far do you take that truth? How honest do you have to be? What is truth? And where does truth apply? It's not so simple. And we can look at the extremes. I know some of you have said, Rav Safar is going to the extreme. That's exactly what we're saying. Rav Safar is going to the extreme. He is the semel. He is the, the, the symbol for the midah of Dover Emet Bilvavo in the Talmud. Whenever the Talmud says Dover Emet Bilvavo, it quotes the story of Rav Safra. He, that's him. That's how he lived his life. And you're always going to have rabbis, you can have rabbi with this extreme, rabbi with that extreme, one rabbi with this midah, one rabbi with that midah, there's one rabbi, there's one rabbi who's, who's, who, who's very gentle, there's one rabbi who's very... There's different kinds of people. And the world needs different kinds of people. And, and when you have different kinds of people, you're going to have different kinds of people with extremes. But most of us are somewhere in the middle, and now we have to start figuring out, so where should we go? How do we balance ourselves out? And this... Dover Emet Bilvavo creates an interesting question. And what, it comes, what we have is a disagreement. One rabbi says that it should be done this way. Truth, 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 and that's the number one. And Rava says sensitivity to people's feelings have to come first. And understanding where people are has to come first. And you know what? You don't have to say everything out loud. Right? And that is the debate between Rava and Rav Safra. All right. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.